Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome to The Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. I know you're used to seeing guests in the studio with me during the show. However, Fox 2 and KPLR 11 are following strict safety guidelines in light of the coronavirus. We are no longer inviting guests to the studio, but don't worry. We will keep you informed by using technology to interview guests, including using Skype. And right now, joining me is Ellen Alper. She is the Chief Executive Officer of the National Council of Jewish Women St. Louis. The organization is celebrating 125 years of service to the community. Congratulations and thank you so much for being here, Ellen. Oh, thank you for allowing me to be here and for making it possible for us to do this remotely. You know, these are changing times and we have to change and make adjustments with everything we're doing in a matter of being safe. And so we appreciate you for joining us and we are going to move full speed ahead. So tell me about your organization. When was it started and why was it started? So National Council of Jewish Women was started 125 years ago here in St. Louis, 127 years ago um, in Chicago, uh, out of response to meet needs in our community. There's a long story about Hannah G. Solomon, our founder, being invited to the World's Fair in Chicago and asked, thought they were going in to do policy work and they were asked to serve coffee, so they all promptly walked out and said, nope, we're gonna do policy work. And the organization was founded and it was founded to address needs in local regional communities. And so there are over 60 sections of NCGW throughout uh, the United States. Uh, we are one of the largest ones here in St. Louis, and we have a legacy of programs and projects that we put together here that have been impacting this community since 1895. Tell me about some of the projects and some of the initiatives. I'm happy to do that. We um, So we work through a program of community service, advocacy, education, and philanthropy to improve the lives of women and children and to fight for individual and civil rights. So it's a pretty broad mission, and our mission is in the general community. So we've done things like housing for seniors. Uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, we built the Delcrest for Senior Living, which is now known as the Crown Center. It is its own independent nonprofit, but one that we founded in response to a community need. Uh, court appointed special advocates, legal advocates for abused women, um, other organizations that currently exist in today's community started as community service projects of NCJW here in St. Louis. And we currently run five direct service projects now, uh, our largest one being our back to school store which helps outfit children to get ready to go back to school. We work with 60 social service agencies, churches, shelters, and other organizations to make sure elementary age kids have everything they need to go back to school in the fall every single year. Do you know if that traffic has picked up at the store in light of the students being home and parents might need supplies to help homeschool their children? Well, the back to school store is a one day event that happens okay. in July. So the other project that we have, our kids' community closets, actually puts the same 
clothing and supplies and school uniforms into the schools. Now, with the schools being closed right now, obviously uh, the children don't have access to some of those things, but we are also working under the assumption that they're not going to need school uniforms right now if they're all at home right? Um, and working from home. Mm -hmm. You know, the question becomes whether or not we organizationally are going to need to look at changing how we allocate resources. And it may be that we're not buying winter coats and shoes for kids anymore, but we're putting money into helping kids get food or other things that they need as we get through this crisis. Yeah, and of course, the world is focused on this coronavirus crisis. Give me a sense of how you and your organization are basically responding to it. So we are reaching out to our agencies to see if there are ways that we can help remotely, if there is any kind of virtual volunteering that can take place. Uh, we are looking at doing some of that, uh, doing a lot of meetings via Skype, via Zoom, via conference calls so that we can really figure out what the needs are and how we can mobilize our resources to help those needs. Uh, we have a resale shop, for example, uh, that makes items of clothing available at very reasonable prices. That shop is currently closed, but we are hoping within the next two weeks to be able to reopen it so that we can make those resources available given what's happening in the economy. We and know that folks are going to need those kinds of things at the prices that we have to offer them. Absolutely. And this is the resale shop on North Lindbergh that you're, you're speaking of? Correct. It's at 295 North Lindbergh and Creef Corps. Right now the shop is closed. We can't accept donations. Uh, but once we do open, we know that the community will open their arms with donations so that we can make those goods available um, to individuals in need. Because in addition to selling the items and the, the proceeds help support our projects, we also work with agencies and organizations where we will give them vouchers for their clients to shop for free if they are in need of certain things. And so we also use that shop as a community service. And what can people do to help at this point, Ellen, you think? You know, I think right now for everyone that's stuck at home, go through all those things that you don't wear anymore and all those clothes that you don't use and the housewares that you don't want anymore and put them in boxes and get them ready to donate so that when we open, you can bring them over, we can put them out on the shelves, and we can start helping more people. And you help people through so many different organizations. Tell me a little more about the Healing Hearts Bank initiative. So our Healing Hearts Bank is a micro-lending program, and that is a program designed to help uh, women and families who need small loans to help them get over that financial hump in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes it's to buy uniforms for work. Sometimes we've had folks borrow to pay off a payday loan, which, as you know, is a loan that's at a very high interest rate. Um, and so, and other folks use it to build credit. Our Healing Hearts Bank is actually a credit reporting organization. And so we help women and families who borrow from us build credit, which impacts their lives in a positive way in so many other areas, from renting an apartment to buying a car to doing all kinds of things where someone may run a credit check on you. Right. And then tell me about the St. Louis Scholarship Committee. So we founded back in the 1920s uh, the Jewish Scholarship Society, which then became um, the Scholarship Foundation back in the 60s. And we spun it off as its own independent organization. It was originally founded because Jewish folks did not qualify for scholarships at universities um, for a whole lot of reasons way back then. It was a very different world than we live in today. And um, 
obviously we've ex we expanded the the breadth and the scope of the programs and we spun that organization off and it exists as a scholarship foundation today wow that's incredible and as we mentioned at the top of the show we said your organization is celebrating 125 years of service in the community i'm pretty sure you must have had some major events or galas planned in honor of that celebration tell me about that so we had an event planned for uh this coming april 23rd we were honoring former Senator Claire McCaskill for her work on behalf of women, children, and families. And it was being held at the Missouri History Museum in um, conjunction with the opening of their exhibit on the 100th anniversary of the women's right to vote, which is an issue that we work on from an advocacy standpoint as well. Uh, so that event has been postponed and hopefully will be rescheduled at a later date. Uh, but we are still working on voting initiatives. For example, we issued a press release yesterday about legislation that was introduced nationally to allow people to vote by mail so that maybe by the time the 2020 election comes around people will be able to vote by mail and not have to go into a polling place to vote and again protecting people because we don't know how long this crisis is going to continue and speaking of voting does your organization endorse any candidates or any parties no, we do not. We are a 501c3 charitable organization. So we do not take positions on candidates. We do take positions on issues, however, things that impact the lives of women, children, and families. Things like paid family leave, uh, human trafficking, um, protections for victims of domestic violence. We worked a couple of years ago to get legislation passed to raise the marriage age in Missouri to the age of 17. Um, I don't know if you know this, but at one point at the, in the state of Missouri, you could get married at the age of 13. Um, so we work on issues like that, that impact lives, that, that help people in our community and in our region. And that we are continue, continuing to do virtually because the Missouri House of Representatives is still in session. That's right. And those are some of the issues that are very important and people are still talking about them. And I wanna talk a little bit more about them when we come back, but I gotta take a break. Stay with us, we're back in a moment. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to The Pulse. We're talking with Ellen Alper. She is the Chief Executive Officer of the National Council of Jewish Women St. Louis. And Ellen, we were talking about legislation that your organization actually helps to get passed through the State House. Tell me a little bit more about some of the issues and some of the legislation that your organization has been instrumental in pushing through. So we've worked on a lot of different pieces of legislation. Um, two years ago, we were really excited to get a piece of legislation passed that mandated uh, the posting of the National Human Trafficking Hotline in truck stops, in hospitals, in bus stations, and places where potential victims would be so that they know that there is help out there for them. Missouri was one of the few states that did not mandate that kind of posting, and so we were very excited to get that piece of legislation passed. Uh, we also worked, um, as I indicated earlier, on a piece of legislation that passed to raise the marriage age in Missouri. We are currently working on legislation with regard to access to voting, to unpaid leave for victims of domestic and sexual violence so that they can get the help that they need without having to worry that they are gonna lose their job because they have to take off work to go to court to get an order of protection. We don't believe that any woman should have to choose between her job and her life and her safety. So that, and that's a piece of legislation we've been working on for eight years. 
uh, every year we get a little bit further and we're not going anywhere. And so we keep making our presence known in Jefferson City and we keep talking to folks about it because we think it's important. So give me a sense, Ellen, when you decide, your organization decides that you're going to get behind a particular issue and you're going to be an advocate for that particular issue, walk me through the process. What do you do? Do you like, call a big meeting, you all sit around and you talk about it and then you hash out your plan? Give me a sense of how that works. Well, sometimes it happens because we're responding to legislation that has already been introduced that we either support or we don't support. So that makes it relatively easy. Other times we identify a need and then we go and we work with an elected official to say, can you get legislation drafted to identify that need? So for example, um, last year we worked on a piece of legislation uh, relative to um, Medicaid on long-acting reversible contraception and making sure that that was available to women who needed it. And what we, were, what we found in Missouri was that um, if a patient went in and that, that piece of equipment was ordered for them, um, it had their name on it, basically. And if they didn't show up for the insertion of that piece of equipment, uh, an IUD, a Norplant, or that kind of thing, um, that, patient, that piece of equipment could not be used for another Medicaid patient. And in 90 days, it was thrown away. And we went back to the state and said, look, we are wasting money. If it's a Medicaid patient, you should be able to use it with any Medicaid patient in the state, and actually it was Missouri Health Net in the state of Missouri. And we were able to get legislation passed that allowed that to happen. So not only did it make it accessible to women in need, but it also saved the state money at the same time. How rewarding is it to know that your organization is making such a huge difference in the community and has been doing so for 125 years? That's a long time. Well, it's extremely rewarding. I get to work with an amazing board of directors. We have hundreds of volunteers that step up to the plate to do this work. Um, we have a small staff that supports them. But in terms of our volunteers, they will go on a moment's notice. We took two busloads of volunteers to um, Fort Sill, Oklahoma this past summer uh, to protest the separation of children and families as part of the immigration issues that we're dealing with. So we get out in the streets, we talk about it, we talk to people. We are not afraid to get out there and say, hey, you guys have to pay attention to what's going on in this world and you need to take a stance. And you need to take a stance that improves the lives of women, children and families. And that's what we get to do. And I get to do it every single day with a great group of women. So it makes me a very happy person sitting in my chair. All right, Ellen Alper, Chief Executive Officer of the National Council of Jewish Women of St. Louis. Congratulations on the milestone and thank you so much for the work you're doing in the community and for being here. All right, and if when we come back, you know, movie theaters across the country are closed because of the coronavirus, but that doesn't mean you can't see some of your favorite films. We'll tell you how when we come back. Welcome back to The Pulse. You know, there are a lot of popular series and movies streaming right now to keep you entertained at home. In fact, TV is streaming, Apple TV rather, is streaming its new film entitled The Banker. I traveled to Memphis, Tennessee to attend the world premiere and to talk with the stars. Take a look at what they have to say about the film. So, what's your plan, Mr. Garrett? How would you like to buy a bank? What the hell do we know about banking? Owning a bank is like owning the other side of the real estate business. There's a few complexities you just left out. Like what? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not wake up black this morning? Because I'm pretty sure I did. These two guys were 
courageous. They had a they had an idea. Uh, they figured out how to make that idea happen. Uh, they weren't deterred by anything. We get Matt to front for us. You want me to what? Well, I know guys like that when I was growing up. Um, you know, people take take for granted because you own a place like a nightclub that you're not a serious businessman, or that you know you own a couple of houses and you're you're just a landlord. This guy's a very smart guy who 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 understood you know who he was, how his influence worked in the community and, and, and to be a very real and genuine character to these people so that when people did have problems, they could talk to him. And they knew he would relate to that and understand it. Uh, and you present one face and you do something else to you know, help a lot of other people. So he uplifted a lot of people. It's time that someone shine a bright light in order for things to change. Are you starting to buy real estate in white-only neighborhoods? One eye open. If this was easy, somebody else would have done it a long time ago. Something's got to give. I had to tap into a different part of my womanhood and remind myself that, yes, we all have that edge. Black women, we were born with that edge because we needed that edge to survive. But there's so many different ways to accomplish something. And if we tap into sometimes our femininity and our softer side and just a place of of real honesty and love, you can be as effective. You don't have to be loud and rah-rah and angry. You know, and, and we have a lot, by the way, to be angry about. We do, any, any emotion that we feel as black women is justified. I never take that away from us. But I do think that there comes a point in my own life where I had to be really forgiving of people and things and mistakes that I've made and to let go of some of the things that were blocking my own personal growth. And then I met a woman named Eunice. And I got to play this woman who was elegant and beautiful and growing up under the most difficult times with nothing, where our civil rights were being taken away from us and we were not able to have financial wealth in our community. So I had to stop and go, whoa, I don't really have the right to be angry because look at my beautiful life. I don't really have the right to not be thankful and grateful for women like Eunice who were fearless enough to push their men forward to create change. One of the things that concerns me is that we are in this cyclical uh, pattern where we just kind of keep, everything keeps happening. Again, a different version of it, but still repeating itself, history repeating itself. And I think one of the things that we're missing is, is that we are not as institutionalized as other people in terms of how we teach our children. What system do we have in place to actually um, create a platform for our children to feel secure? Because so oftentimes, success for me was never um, done because, oh, I want to be an actress, I want to be famous. It was out of desperation. I had to find something that I could be good at to succeed and then I fell in love with it but it was it wasn't like oh I'm gonna go to like the perfect you know um, performing arts school and get, that's not my experience and I'm not knocking anyone who's had that experience but mine was out of sheer desperation I had to succeed failure was not an option and so 
I know that my children won't have that because their life is a little bit more comfortable, but how do I still instill that in them where they are, where they have that drive to be successful, where they are um, finding that thing that makes them unique. And so we as a people, I think, have to get to a place where we're able to educate our children, give them more than what we had but still nurture that idea that you have to earn this. You have to work really hard, and when you earn it, it's not just for you, it's for the culture, and it's for the next generation, and we want to build as opposed to being caught up in materialism. I have a 19-year-old who's in his first year of college, and. He's a good boy, like he, he gets it, and I have not overindulged my children, and I do make him earn it. But I tell him all the time, I'm like, oh, so he did um, a single mom's club with me. And when, when a, a young actor is you know, under 18, you have to hold their money until they turn 18, and once they get to turn 18, they get to have their check. So he got his check, and I said, well, what do you want to do with this? And he goes, well, I want to invest it. And I was like, oh my God, thank you, God. I'm doing something right. But I had to be really cool because, you know, if you get too excited, then they'll change their mind because it's like they need to feel independent. I think the best thing that we can do with our children is teach them that materialism is generational wealth suicide. Like you cannot get caught up in what the next person is doing. And I know that that sounds intense, but at the end of the day, you're right. We do have to give them financial, the the tools to understand what financial literacy means for us. Because financial literacy for us is very different from the rest of the world. So I just say to my son all the time, enjoy what you make, save some for later, and be smart about your investments. The whole country is talking about how two Negroes managed to buy two banks full of white folks' money and loan it to other Negroes. The answer no is not in your vocabulary. You might ask 100 people for an opportunity. 99 might say no, but if one say yes, you win. Never let anybody else be a blessing blocker on your dreams. Go get it, fight for it, and you'll appreciate it more when it happens. When you see a, a, a couple where two people are willing to humble themselves, where the both of them are able to succeed. It's really beautiful. And that was the story of my mom and my dad. You know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was a worker bee. But every time my dad came home, the decisions were made by both of them. And my mom always used to say, your dad is the head of the household, but I'm the neck that turned that head. And when I went to Nia and asked her to do this, I was begged her because she brings a certain level of sophistication and and, and decadence to femininity that you don't really find nowadays. So I was very honored when she said yes to being my wife. As an actor, I have the great ability to be able to delve into characters and times that most people just uh, gleam over. So to be here this close with this movie that kind of happened simultaneously or in the same you know, period is what happened here at this hotel with the assassination. Um, it's humbling. You should have known you couldn't keep this a secret very long. FBI, you're under arrest. A black man tries to bring other brothers up. That's intolerant. And the fact that this happened and that, that, that these guys were basically erased from history, uh, I think really st- stuck with me. Um, but it's the kind of story that when you hear it even in a pitch form in like 90 seconds, you're just like, they did all that? You know, and they, they did it with their white handyman. They had to my fair lady him to turn into a different person. 
Um, it just really felt larger than life. And of course, they ended up called before the U.S. Senate, and it became a national, you know, case. What they started in California and brought to Texas. So, um, yeah, I mean, just the basics of what they actually did is what pulled me in. Why is it important to tell the story now? Well, I mean, if you know, just the last two weeks on the presidential, uh, in the presidential campaigns, we spent a lot of talk about uh, generational wealth, uh, the disparity in wealth between the African American, average African American family, the average white family. Uh, redlining, uh, discrimination in banking, they're all issues that are being, you know, still dealt with today, both the historical legacy of what happened back then in terms of passing down wealth and, you know, just overt discrimination in, like, the banking industry. New York Times article three months ago with, like, people on tape, right? So it's, uh, I, I think it couldn't really be more timely. Something's got to give. You're a revolutionary. TV right now. Check it out. You'll enjoy it. And that is it for us. Thank you so much for joining us for The Pulse of St. Louis. If you missed any part of the show, download The Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember, for News 24-7, download the free Fox 2 and News 11 app. I'll see you next time.